Kira Chenven and Ivano Otsori moved to the southwest corner of Sardinia four years ago to set up Preziada, a creative practice working with artisans on resuscitating local craft. Kira worked for years as a set designer in New York, while Ivano comes from the world of graffiti and contemporary art. Together, they work symbiotically as cultural translators, writing and photographing the island, reproposing new designs of classic pieces, producing original designs of international creatives, and assisting the artisans to shape their future trajectory. They promote the heritage of the territory through words, photography, and a collection of design objects made with local artisans. Today, I'm speaking with Kira. Kira, welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. It's lovely to have you. Thank you. We're going to, of course, talk about luxury and craftsmanship today because it's the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. But firstly, I just wanted um, you to tell me a little bit about you, where you came from, and how you get to to be where you are. Right. So um, Ivano and I are partners in life and in work. Um, and we were living in, uh, we've li- we lived in New York together, we lived in Milan together, we lived in Tuscany together, and now we're here in Sardinia. In, in reality, uh, I think there's a, a lot of conversation now about uh, trying to, to get away from what feels like an unhealthy and frenetic environment of, of cities for a lot of people. Um, and Ivano and I felt that um, you know, about 10 years ago. So we decided to to leave the city um, for Sardinia, which is where Ivano's family is originally from. Uh, it's a it's a it's in a beautiful island with an incredible amount of culture and heritage, but it's also relatively unknown, at least in my home country in the United States. Um, I think people who do know Sardinia know it as a sort of playground during Ju- July and August because of the beautiful beaches. But what is is not known about it is it's, it's extraordinarily rich history. So we were drawn to the island because we came here throughout the years and were always exploring everything from archaeological sites to small towns, museums. And we were really fascinated by how different from the rest of Italy it is and how singular it is as an island. Um, so we uh, decided that we definitely wanted to move to Sardinia. And one of the things that had really struck us was the rich cultural heritage of the crafts on the island. I do want to preface this to say we both worked, as you mentioned, in uh, in aesthetics, in the general field of aesthetics. But neither of us had any um, any background on uh, in design or in craft before we started. Um, so to us, this was a, a real adventure. However, it's been extraordinarily rewarding as an experience. So we live in the, like you said, in the southwestern corner of the island. It's one of the poorest regions in Europe. Um, it's uh, it's an incredibly fascinating and contradictory place because it has uh, some of the most vast forests of the Mediterranean, incredible sparkling beaches, the coastline is astounding. It produces some of the best wines in all of Italy and therefore in all of Europe. It is a place with an incredible amount of a certain type of luxury, um, but it is also um, a place with an astounding amount of unemployment, of of 
isolation of a whole field slew of difficult problems that uh, contemporary problems. So for us, one of the main things when we were moving to the countryside was that we wanted to make sure that we were still connected to the cities and to uh, the rest of the world. And really, that's how we ended up starting what we're doing now. I'm just thinking that's the place to buy a house then. It's an extraordinary place. It really is. And it's interesting because I think that we, especially in a country like Italy, um, there are very few undiscovered corners left. So we we definitely think of Sardinia and especially this area as being um, in some ways one of the the last refuges for for people who are coming from from a more hectic city city lifestyle. Tell us a little bit about your life on Sardinia then, because you've got a, a gallery. So again, we decided that we were going to, to move to Italy. And for us, it was really important to use all of the skills that we had, um, that we had collected over the years in some way that was going to be a positive force. So one of the things we noticed when we got here was that there was this huge heritage of um of craft but that it was really um isolated from markets and from the the rest of the world anybody that could actually appreciate it and I, i'm sure we'll get into this but i think um you know one of the things that's that's fascinating to me about what we're doing is how our pieces in the end of our collection can definitely be considered luxury pieces because of the way that they're made, but that these pieces all have a price that is directly related to exactly how much work goes into producing them. So I think that that's kind of an interesting thing about craft is it does just take a lot of time, effort, and skill in order to make anything by hand. And um, a lot of the things that we think of as being historical crafts are extraordinarily time consuming. Did you go to Sardinia with the intention of doing what you're doing or did you go to Sardinia and then find what you were going to do? You were a set designer in New York mm-hmm. um, and Ivano was a graffiti artist. He, he was a graffiti uh, it's writer. It's quite a, it's, yeah, or <laughs> yeah. graffiti writer. And it's quite a different. No, it was, it was a huge leap. I mean, I think we came here and the idea was that we were going to start working with artisans. We were going to start promoting craft um, on the island. And we had that very clear in mind. The thing that we didn't realize was what kind of shape the craft industry in Sardinia was going to be in. And so um, we had to clearly change uh, what our idea was going to be once we started meeting the artisans and understanding that they had been completely isolated from, from again, from any market that could make sense for, for the, the things that they were making. I, I think there was, we, we had a sort of skeleton of what we wanted to do. And I'm really actually thankful about the way that it developed because I think that we were not imagining to be so heavily involved in in the creativity of creating a collection. And we've been very fortunate that we've been able to continue to do what we're doing. And it's become um, an ever more challenging and, and creative endeavor. We originally thought that we would be Mm, sort of getting to know the island, getting to know the artisans and making making a sort of collection of pieces that were already existing. But we realized once we got here that um, there had been 
a, a real, it, it, without giving you the whole, the entire history of Sardinian craftsmanship, I think um, there had been a real boom in the 50s and 60s, and then a decline ever since then, basically. And so, um, what what we what we saw was that there were that all of the artisans were really heavily dependent on the tourism trade, which you know can be it, and it's the idea of tourism, the idea that people come to your home, learn about your culture, and then take something home with them that's that's special and unique is such a beautiful idea. Of course, that's not really the way that it always works. And so what what was happening to the artisans in Sardinia was that um, people were wanting and demanding some ever cheaper, ever smaller, ever less detailed pieces. And so it began to 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 cheapen their craft as well. Um, in order to stay inside that market and survive, they were trying to produce and work faster, but it was still, they're still making, um, a perfect example is, is the chairs. They still are hand caning each one of these chairs with river reeds from, you know, the, the area that they're from. So it's, it's a craft they've been doing for five generations. You can only make that so cheap. And it, it was starting to, to crumble in on itself. So one of the things that we really concentrate on now, um, and I'll explain a little bit better exactly what we do on the island, but um, is that we work with the artisans to, to figure out, first of all, what they are wanting, where they're wanting to get to, and what, what their real interest um, is, as far as their skills and their market is going to be. And then, um, and then we usually pair them with a designer who comes here, does uh, an intense residency, learns about the island, and then proposes an object for our collection that is in some way reflective of Sardinian heritage and, and history. Working in this way, uh, the artisans are making much more important pieces and really pushing themselves to uh, to to make something that for them is new and innovative in a certain way, but is also almost always a return to uh, their, their, his, you know, their historical craft. You mentioned this, um, you know, tourists going to the island and, you know, just wanting cheap and cheaper things. I mean, that's kind of happened to Murano as well a bit. Right, right, right. I mean, I think that's a very, that's a very, Unfortunately, it's a pretty common story. We don't yeah, realize yeah. when we're going somewhere what our effect on the place where we're visiting is, right? And that's we're seeing that on the pl entire planet right now. So well, you go to, you know, you're buying, I don't know, whatever the things might be that have the characteristic of the of the place you're buying it from, but they don't come from there. Right. And I think that's actually a really good point. It's something that we work on a lot where we are because um, – First of all, Ivano is, um, he does have Sardinian heritage, but he was born and raised in Milan. Um, and I'm clearly American. Um, so to us, it was a really important to recognize that we are here. We're permanent residents of the island, but we're still aliens in a certain sense. So we are, we are outsiders, but uh, because of that, we pay a lot of attention to making sure that the objects that we're making make sense to the culture itself, to the artisans themselves, and that they really represent 
the the island's heritage, sometimes in in sort of surprising or new ways, but other times in going back to what uh, traditional designs were before, you know, and letting them getting them out there and having them having them be known to a new world that hasn't discovered them yet. When one thinks about this idea of heritage and um, I suppose responsibility, because and you think about luxury, I mean, they're all interconnected. And you, in a sense, now have this responsibility to these craftsmen and we people do. you're working with. We do. We we feel a huge responsibility, to be honest. Um, a lot of times we're the the first or the only uh, interaction that any that anybody we know, you know, the people we're meeting has ever had with the island. And the necessity to be really honest um, is is part of of what we do. I think oftentimes, especially uh, when you're talking about a place that survives on tourism, there's this desire to sort of hide all of the wrinkles and and you know any of the the difficult spots. But for us, I mean, I think one of the things that we love so much about Sardinia is uh, is its authenticity, which I know can be a heavily contested word, but it is it's a very specific culture and it and it is very um it's still very authentic so i think for us it's important to talk about the difficult parts of of sardinia the difficult parts of of craft the difficult sad parts of the history of the craft on the island because if we're not talking about that then we're not being um fully honest and and i also think people are intelligent enough I like to think people are intelligent enough to be able to handle those truths. What excites you about the work that you both do? I think um, so much of it excites us in the sense it's really exciting to be able to help someone achieve more of what they want to be doing. I think one of the misconceptions, especially now in this, this highly digital age, is that we expect people to be good at everything. They should be good at making chairs, but they should also be good at uh, Instagram, and they should also be good at making contacts, and they should also be good at delivering things on time and coming up with prices. And there's there's a lot that we're asking of these artisans, and so for us, um, the most exciting part is what perhaps sounds the most boring to to everyone else, which is um, you know knowing that we can take care of a lot of the details so that these people can stay in their workshops because that's where they get to be creating ever more amazing things. I also think one of the things for us that was huge about moving to the island was that we felt very overloaded with noise when we were in the city. I think when we moved here, people were a little bit surprised because we are a very urban couple. I grew up in San Diego and I lived in New York my whole adult, adult life until I moved to Milan with Ivano. He was born and raised in the city. Um, but for us, I think we weren't able to realize our own creative potential because we were so constantly surrounded with what everybody else was doing. And to me, being here has been amazing because we're able to have this peace quiet and and therefore it, it and therefore vision that's what really helps us be concretely creative which is an interesting 
but necessary way to live for us. It sounds like, you know, since you've been there, so much has happened and you've discovered so much. Um, going back to what you were talking about earlier in terms of the artisans and the craftsmen and the way you work with them and what you've learned. Luxury, typically, when you think about it, is all about the glitz and the glamour typically. Exactly. But what you've brought up that's really interesting is that the perception is slightly different on the island. Well, I think it's extraordinarily important to remember that all of these beautiful pieces are first born in a dusty workshop. One of our favorite places to be is with our artisans in their workshops. They're such exciting spaces but it is like you said and it's an interesting paradox you when you remove a piece from the workshop you can begin to see it in a different light right it's when it's in the apartment on in in paris or on fifth avenue that you recognize it as an extraordinary piece but the truth is that it's coming from a place where there's a there's an extraordinary amount of work behind it yeah, I think one thing that's important to us is exactly to 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 provide that frame so that people can um, see the potential in these in these works. So the idea is we we love the background and we and we show a lot of in in all of our materials. We always include making of pictures and and in our videos, we're very uh, we're very honest and open about where these pieces are coming from because we find that to be part of the most part of the fascination. It is interesting to see this sort of trajectory where a piece goes from being in a, the dusty workshop and then eventually ends up in, in uh, you know, in a, in a beautiful apartment somewhere. Um, to us, the, the real luxury of our pieces, aside from the extraordinary craftsmanship, is also the history that they take with them in, wherever they end up. Our work is also about creating the background creating the frame, creating the images in, in, and sort of putting the pieces into a, a real perspective. Do those craftsmen appreciate what they do? I think, um, I think Sardinia, one of the things that's interesting about this island is that, um, it, like I was saying, it does have an extraordinary heritage. And it's very fascinating because it's always been an, ex an extremely poor island. And yet people have always had a lot of pride and vanity. And um, I mean that in a, in a great way. They, they, like in many cultures, the women here wove all of their own textiles uh, for themselves. And they took extraordinary care in the, the textiles that they would make. They had to be the most beautiful textiles possible because it was a, a, an actual, it was an expression of your worth as a person, of your um, ability, you know, whatever textile you would have would show everybody around you how extraordinary you could be as a person. So I think um, on the island, there's always been an extraordinary attention to detail. One of the things that we talk about actually often um, when we speak to Sardinia, when we're when we talk on panels here in the island, is uh, that there's a certain iconography on the island, which is um, can either be very stark and minimalist, black and white, very geometric, or it can be extraordinarily colorful explosions of floral patterns, um, flora and fauna, and but really the only thing that in my in my opinion. Um, 
is the root of Sardinian craft is this attention to detail. Um, and that is something that we, we really focus on with the artisans is getting them back to, uh, allowing them to pay that, the extra attention to the items that they're making. So I think in answer to your question that actually, um, the artisans here are sort of unusually attuned to what a, a fine piece is. I think that they, they have that. I also think that the last 20 years has, um, 20 to 30 years has sort of, um, gotten them a bit down about whether they can reach people who could care that much about what they're doing. So I do think that they have, they already do have an appreciation, but I also, um, think that it's fantastically new for them to begin to see their pieces next to, uh, you know, either iconic design pieces, you know, from Cassina <laughs> or other wildly appreciated Italian design houses, um, or to see that, that people are, are purchasing their, their pieces in, in all over the world. That's, that's definitely a new experience. What struck me is that these artisans are reappreciating the skill that they have to reimagine and um, the work that they do, because it seems that it was so unappreciated for such a long time. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, I think obviously each artisan is completely different. So it's important also to no recognize that each one has a different backstory and each one has a different um you know, a different vision for the future, but I also, um, you know, or an area of interest, but I do, I, I also, I do think that there's a huge amount of, um, distrust as far as they're concerned, because I think that they felt very used in the past. I think Sardinia is, has been colonized basically since prehistory, um, it had a very brief, important, but brief uh, moment in the Middle Ages in which it was um, independent. Uh, but aside from that, it's always been uh, it's always been under the power of another government. So which now would be, in a certain sense, the government of Italy. And I think that there is really a lot of a lot of the attitudes when people come to the island is this sort of idea of being, colonizers in a way. So I think that they have felt used and abused. And I and right now, um, I think it's a really beautiful period for them because they're, they, they know that their work is, is exceptional. And finally, they're able to, you know, show it to, to the rest of the world. It's, a, it's so different to reading about um, items that are Nice, well made or well produced, but that are mass produced. To thinking about these people who are working in their workshops um, and really taking time with their craft, but also appreciating um, a new sense of worth. Is that would I be right in saying that? Yeah, I think I, I think that you can say that. I think more than anything, they have a lot of pride in seeing where their objects are are being appreciated now. So with craftsmanship in mind, I mean, do you distinguish between craft and craftsmanship? One of the things that I found most interesting is sort of delving into the discussions on craft and 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 what is craft and what is craftsmanship. It's so easy to get tied up in knots <laughs> very very quickly. Um but I do I think one of the 
one of the only sort of explanations of the idea of of craft to me that's that continually sticks is the idea that a craftsman or a craftsperson is somebody who is constantly spotting problems and figuring out ways to fix them that's that's really the only the only way i define it i don't know if i actually consciously separate the idea of craft and craftsmanship but of clearly i think that there's I mean, there's a difference between the way that you can apply the words. Craft, I would say, is something that you can apply sort of more widely to anything in a way. Like, I think that it's important to have a craft in whatever it is that you're doing and whatever it is that you, that you, however it is that you apply yourself. Even artisan, you know, that is, the word is so loaded in England, certainly, or, you know, you think about Typically, you think about craft and people think about wicker baskets. Mm -hmm. If you say it's craft, if it's made by a craftsman, it's not craft anymore. It's, you know, because it's a craftsman who's made it. Mm. So you're not using, I don't know, cello tape and um, paper and um, bits of plastic and making something. It's crafted by a craftsman. No, you're right. It's interesting. There, there's so many ways that you can apply. I, I actually kind of forgot that we used to say you know, to our children there that the it's a craft day. So they're going yes, to be exactly, using paper exactly. tape um, and straws. <laughs> but you're right, it is some, it is, uh, I mean, I think it, there's a way in which it's really, it's a, it's a great that this word is so all welcoming because it really does, it's a, it's a very honest word and it really does talk about how um, thing, how even beautiful objects are born it's interesting because we um, we actually one of the reasons why we love the word craft is because in Italian it doesn't exist. So if artisan or craft is already quite loaded in English in some ways, um, in Italian it, it's it's extremely difficult. It it's very specific. The word artigiano artigianato is very specific to a sort of um, almost folkloric, again, probably brings to mind uh, the idea of sort of a tourist shop that you would find in an airport or, um, you know, along a busy beach. One of, one of the words that we, we love to fall back on and that we usually explain in, when we're speaking in Italian to a, to a group is the idea of craft. Um, but I had completely removed the fact that craft is something that we also use you know, when we speak about the about something being, um, you know, just made by by almost anyone, but in reality, I, I like that. I like that accessibility that we give to the word that you can anybody can practice making crafts, <laughs> but uh, it takes an extreme amount of time and effort to then be able to craft something or be a craftsman. And I think that's the important distinction. Anyone can engage in craft, but not everybody's a craftsman. So you can have a luxury chocolate, that's a dollar, and you can have a luxury chocolate, that's $19. There needs to be some distinction because the $1 chocolate, it, it might be luxury. It might be luxury to somebody who can only afford a dollar. But in terms of the traditional or definitions of luxury, it's not typically luxury because it doesn't have those same crafted connotations. And I do think I do think that it's kind of an interesting moment that we're in because um, having all of a sudden a lot of barriers come down have shown has shown us um you know 
again, we work from this rural little island and we're able to be in touch with galleries in Paris and London and all over the world. So um, I think that what having that access, the fact that we all have this enormous access to an entire world has really taught us that it isn't just about, you know, writing the word luxury or having the right font on your chocolate <laughs> that makes it actually a luxury chocolate. And it's put a lot of pressure, I think, on a certain um, on a certain level. But it's it's a good pressure because I think a lot of to to me, what's important is knowing that when you're paying anything that you're actually paying for, that that is true luxury, in my opinion should have the high price tag because it takes a lot to get there, not just because uh, it has recognition. So, and that might be a con slightly contentious um, viewpoint because... Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> because not everybody's <laughs> going to say, oh, it needs to be expensive to be luxury. It's become much more evident that price and luxury are connected. However, saying that, if you think about a big luxury brand producing handbags that are mass produced in the tens of thousands they're really expensive and they're called luxury exactly but if you're one of the water pitchers that one of your artisans making is the same price as one of those um, handbags and that's also luxury there needs to be a distinction because they can't both be luxury no definitely and i th i do think that people are uh waking up to the f to that a little bit i think that they're starting to understand that um because something uh, I mean, we're, we're, we've become so obsessed with sort of small uh, artisan projects, right? And, and whether it be for what we're eating or what we're wearing or what we're placing around our house, I think that that has a new level of, of importance to people. I mean, it, I would actually love to hear what you think about after all of these years of, of talking about luxury, to me, luxury um, is the is you, I've heard it described, and this is this I love this description as whatever you don't have enough of. And I think um, one of our one of the things that we that we really concentrate on is is the fact that I is that what we do is is rare. Uh, the pieces in our collection are by definition rare because they cannot be mass produced. I think it goes back to sort of, you know, when you ask about our life in Sardinia or you say, oh, it sounds like the right place to to be looking for a house now. I think we really do um, recognize that we have a luxurious lifestyle in the sense that I see the stars and the moon every night, that I have silence around my house. Those, those to me were luxuries that, that I, I needed that I needed when we left the city. This idea of luxury and luxury being um, anything that you don't need to exist, which is a, a phrase that people commonly use is, I don't know if it's that relevant within the context of what we're talking about, because most of the things that we talk about, you don't necessarily, you know, you don't necessarily need. You know, thinking about craftsmanship, I mean, how would you define craftsmanship? within the context of where you are at the moment? Um, I think I think I would go back to what we were saying. I think you're you're absolutely right that um that to talk about um craftsmanship, 
you have to talk also about adapting. I think um, especially when you talk about traditional crafts, uh, you end up very, very easily getting into a, a bit of a cage, uh, a little bit of a prison cell, because if we're not allowed to change anything, then it becomes stagnant. And as soon as it becomes stagnant, it isn't at all uh, truly or honestly traditional anymore anyway. So I, um, I, I, again, to me, the thing that's most important is not necessarily that every single piece be handmade. Um, what, it, what is extraordinarily important is that it be made with care. I think um, that really... To me, the only definition, again, for a craftsperson is somebody who can constantly find problems, find uh, things to perfect, and then perfect them. Um, it's that constant concentration on, on the details of, of a piece. And I've actually, because we work with so many different artisans at this point, and because we've developed so many different projects, I, I've seen people use the same machine to create the same design and come out with, uh, you know, wildly different, a wildly different end, end result. I think that when you when you see, we we by by now definitely know when we see it when we're dealing with somebody who's going to. Uh, always be dissatisfied, which is something that we really look for in in all of our our partnerships. I, I think there right now there are a lot of projects in the world of design that are working with um, putting craftspeople in in contact with designers. Um, I think that that those are really, and, and I say this because that's exactly what we do on a certain level on the most basic level, but it's a very risky proposition because I think that there's a way in which you're taking um, the resp that responsibility away from, from the artisans. So one of the things that is extremely important to us is first that these designers become fully immersed in the place where they're going to be creating something um, before they even start to, to come up with a, with a design. And second, that the artisan be put on the exact same level of importance. So we have, uh, we're ex extraordinarily um, adamant about the fact that it is a horizontal process and that everybody has the same weight and the same decisional power um, when it comes to the, the final product. One of the things that, that, that's important to us is that every piece that leaves the, the workshop is something that the artisan can feel is representative of them and, the, and their work. There's a dual benefit, I guess, to the work that you do. You are working with the um, with the artisan as preziada, but you're also supporting the artists as the artisan as an artisan. So they, there's a dual benefit. Killing two birds with one stone, aren't you? Well, I I do think that it's quite rare. And when I spoke before about the us having started in a way that was almost naive um, and not knowing the mechanisms, I, I really meant that um, one, one of the most obvious examples is that uh, design and design houses often go to artisans, especially in Italy, where the, we have such a fantastic wealth of incredible craftsmen. They often go to those artisans for producing uh, pieces 
but they almost never credit those artisans with, with their name never comes out. So uh, we didn't realize that when we started, to be honest, we didn't know that that was the way that uh, that this world worked. And, and I'm very happy that we could not have been sort of swayed into thinking about doing something in that vein. For us, it's extremely, uh, it, it makes things more difficult, to be honest, um, but it's extremely important to us that the names of our artisans come out parallel to the names of the designers, that they're, um, that they're always, every object is signed with the name of the designer and the name of the artisan. Um, in all of our press and everything we do on our website, it's we're very open and transparent about where each of these pieces is being built. Um, and I really think that that's the only way to protect these sorts of skills. I think often you'll find something like our project that's run by a government or a crafts council. The only difference for us is that they're one of the things that we focus on a lot is the actual market. So it has to be economically viable. It's not doing a project just to do a project and hoping that somebody will pay attention and 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 get visibility. Um, I think there's I think visibility has become a bit of a poison word in in some ways in our um, in our very visible world right now. And I think that it's important instead to to create an actual economy um, for for these people. The way in which you work is unusual in that you have designers coming to the island to work with artisans. Mm -hmm. Unusual in the sense that typically, you know, designers, like you said earlier, you know, they would work, produce their stuff, get the credit. The way you work is the designers come to the island, work with the artisans and everybody gets the credit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how, how, I mean, and which is great, you know, there's recognition all around. How do the artisans feel about that, about working? How do they respond to working with designers who typically aren't the easiest people to work with? Well, I think we, I think the way that we work creates a bit of a natural selection. Um, we have worked with some really big names and some, uh, but you don't have to necessarily have a big ego to go along with a big name. And I think that for anybody to be interested and, and, you know, uh, interested in working with us, you have to, um, you have to recognize that you're part of a community. So uh, it hasn't, been a problem. In fact, one of the things that I love is that all of our artisans eventually uh, end up having direct contact with the designers in the sense that not only do they, of course, the designers come to the workshops and see what they're doing and see what they have done, but they often end up, uh, you know, being in touch ind independently of us. So I, I, I'm really actually quite proud of that. I think, um, the, you know, when I see that the artisans and the designers are sending each other messages or commenting on each other's, you know, social media, it, it that's, it's beautiful. I think that, um, it, that's the sort of satisfaction that we, that makes up for the fact that, uh, I mean, there's a reason why people don't give their manufacturer factures names out to, to people. Um, but I think that for us, this is a life project. So it's, it's clear, 
it was clear to us from day one that we were going to give up certain benefits in order to have other more more humane benefits, <laughs> let's say. Yeah. Do the artisans or the craftsmen on the island, do they collaborate with each other? Yes and no. They definitely collaborate together at times. Um, Sardinia is not the most collaborative place. One of the things that we work really hard on on the island is creating collaborative space. And I think um, that it's becoming again, a bit of a community. So of course, artisans in general always end up collaborating on one in one way or another um, because on construction sites or uh, you're going to need a metal worker and you're also going to need a carpenter. So uh, they 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 have worked together at times. but I think one another uh, one of the things that makes us very happy and proud is that um, that we've seen projects sort of be born, of people's connection to to Preziada. What about generational collaboration? So hmm. are the skills being passed down? Yeah, so that that's another um, sort of tender point in the sense that uh, almost everybody we work with is a um, it has learned their craft from their parents. And that's really, you know, quite quite beautiful and quite unusual in some ways. Um, I mean, there's always, there are always specific examples. Um, but I think one of the things that's been a little bit difficult for Sardinia recently is that this sort of crash in the, in the craft, uh, industry and market that happened from the nineties on, um, really convinced people that they did not want their children going into the family business. And, um, I think slowly, we're beginning to see that there that there's a bit of an interest coming back. We have this we have these bell makers that we work with. They make um, actually the bells. They hand shape and um, paint the bells that um, are worn by all of the animals in the pastures. Um, and we we worked with them with this uh, wonderful designer Sam Baron, who's um, who's a French designer who ended up decorating a vase with these bells. Th their story was very, very, th they can't even count how many generations of their family has been making bells. They have no idea how long uh, they've been doing it. I think they've counted back five generations and they're not sure, you know, they're pretty sure that it went back further. Um, but the the son who's um, who's in his 30s was instead told by by the father he wanted him to go study economics and he wanted him to get off the island and he and he did that um he did that he went he studied in milan and then he came back and said okay i did everything you told me to but i want to make bells so um the fact that they're able to make that work and that there is that um tenacity is um is 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 a touchingly common story instinctively I think of community and how, you know, a community comes together to support one another in the pursuit in this instance of craftsmanship, because mm -hmm. it's important to keep these things going um, for future generations. And, you know, to have somebody go come back is an amazing, it's an amazing story, isn't it? It's a beautiful story. I think, I think um, the one thing that we, um, that we've learned is uh, that everybody has their obviously everybody has their reasons, and if somebody's trying to to keep their you know give their child a different um, a different opportunity, 
it's clearly not out of a lack of love for what they've dedicated their life to, but it's out of fear that there isn't going to be the same sort of opportunities for their for their children to continue with what they with what they have established. I think also a lot of these older generations have lived through an extraordinary amount of poverty. They all grew up, uh, you know, with no running water in their houses, and um, we're asking them in a certain way. We, we, Ivano and I have to be very aware that we're asking them at times to go back to what is a painful history. Um, that being said, it is really, um, it is really lovely to see when you have these younger generations that not only refuse to leave the workshop, but also, um, are able to transform it into their own because, Clearly, there's always that generational shift where each one of them has a, a, a slightly different focus or a slightly different skill set. Um, so I think it's been really, it's been really, really fulfilling to see to see that sort of intergenerational play go on. The skill of the craftsman and the particular those subtle nuances of their own signature becomes mm-hmm. that defines the craftsman, doesn't it? Makes that thing special to each generation although or even though those skills are passed down yeah def- absolutely i think we um we very recently have decided that um that we're completely sick of the narrative of of um of like the sort of chosen one <laughs> the idea of one extraordinary person, right? Who is able to do, uh, this one extraordinary thing. Um, even though uh, what, so what we see is that really, especially with our collection, it's all a, it's all a product of this, this community that you said, and you can't, you can't get to a point where you can have your own individual skill out there unless you're willing to recognize all of the roads that were paved for you and the the skills and the crafts that you that have been passed down to you. I keep coming back to this idea of difference of of perceptions of luxury with your craftsmen the the craftsmen you were are they all men by the way? No. Nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. The craftspeople that mm-hmm. you work with and then you just think about you you take it off the island and you go to i don't know paris milan london wherever it might be hong kong and this idea of luxury which is you know it it's slightly different because it feels like you're still working in a a, a time that stood still <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> um, no, no i think it's a great i mean i kind of think that's that's a great thing because it's not been influenced by, you know, the big city definition of luxury, which is why you left New York in the first place. <laughs> right. No, no, definitely. I mean, I think the thing about Sardinia is that it is um, so heavily, it, there's a real incredible prehistory here. So um, what that gives you when you have such a strong um, prehistory where you you're extraordinarily connected to a mystery because we only know so much about the prehistoric people of Sardinia. Um, but the, the Naragic people, uh, were, were a native population. Um, they made these gigantic stone towers 
which are all over the island. So there are over 5,000 nurage, they're called. That's where the name of the nuragic, the nuragic people comes from, um, is these gigantic stone towers that they made. Um, they're all over the island. You, there's over 5,000 of them. Um, you, you see them everywhere. And it was this ex extraordinarily united and successful population. The, the fact is that, that Sardinian people are very, very connected to that heritage. And when you have that sort of, uh, base, I think it can be very easy not to get distracted. Like you said, with, the. Uh, with what's going on in, you know, whatever city at whatever particular moment. That feels to me like a luxurious um, <laughs> place to be. It's been a fantastic conversation. I wanted to end with um, uh, the, the, the question that is obviously the typical question, and that is, what is your luxury? Um, I think uh, we can go back to saying that our luxury is, um, is, the, is well, if we want to say, that luxury is what you don't have enough of, then for me, it's time. <laughs> um, but no, I do. I appreciate the, I try to appreciate every day, the luxuries that, that I, that surround me, which are silence and, and uh, absence of, you know, streetlights and, um, and the fact to be able to be doing every day of our life, something that we, that we truly believe in. Kira, thank you for joining us. And thank you to our partner, Intellect Books, to you for listening. And join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. <laughs>